The Athletic. Fernandez, he's made a break from midfield, and on the volley, he hits it! Gorgeous goal! And Bruno Fernandez gives Manchester United the lead! This is Talk of the Devils, the Athletics podcast dedicated to Manchester United. And finally, we have a win to talk about after that narrow victory at Burnley, courtesy of that brilliant Bruno Volley. I'm sure we'll reflect on that. We'll also talk about how Rasmus Hoyland's move to Old Trafford transpired after that exclusive on the Athletic from Laurie this week. And we'll preview, or begin to preview, our double header with Crystal Palace, first in the Carabao Cup and then in the Premier League at the weekend. Let's say hello to everyone. And finally, as well, it's a good morning, isn't it? So good morning, Laurie Whitwell. Good morning, guys. How you doing? Good morning, Carl Anker. Good morning. Good morning, Andrew Mitten. Good morning, Ian. Laurie, I'll start with you. In a word, how do you feel after that Burnley win? Conflicted, maybe, because I think it's a win and that was the absolute imperative at this moment for Manchester United. Um, I think even if it had been a draw, it would have been creeping towards dare we say that word crisis but I think the fact that United got the win does you know change the picture a little bit but then again the level of performance against a team in Burnley who have struggled already this season clearly will struggle uh, as the season goes on um, certainly doesn't give you confidence that United are going to now use that as a platform I don't think um, there's obviously some individual performances which were encouraging uh, you know brilliant to see Johnny Evans do well but you know he is 35 and it's not really supposed to be hey don't don't dampen that just yet that's going to be one of the positive bits of the podcast sorry sorry sorry. um (laughs) and you're older than 35 as well so mind what you say (laughs) this is true it's giving giving me some encouragement Uh, but i think you just i mean look at the stats um you know burnley had 62 percent possession um had more passes more passes 558 to 320 uh, and even more shots. I know it was only 12 to 11, but it, it felt, you know, a, a pretty even game against uh, a side that United should really customarily be beating quite comfortably. But the context is that they, you know, lost, uh, what was it, four matches? Four out of four, five. Four out of, four out of five. Yeah, yeah, I sort of I'll lose track a little bit of, of the You've losses, deleted but... it from your brain yeah. now, I think. It's <laughs> yeah. the right thing to do. <laughs> but but they won. So, yeah, that's the ultimate uh, result that everyone should be focusing on, I think. Yeah, Andy, the only statistic that matters is Burnley nil Manchester United won, isn't it? That was the only thing that counted at the weekend, really. Do you want one word from me as well, rather than Laurie's 280? <laughs> <laughs> I didn't want to... Be too cheeky on him, but yeah, that was a lot longer than one word. <laughs> Just a scooch. Well, my word is pleased. Okay, and do you want to expand on that, a la Laurie? Yeah, I was pleased that Manchester United won the game. No, I think that four defeats would have uh, sunk the mood even more, and I expected United to win, and... I expected it to be difficult given the number of, of injuries. I thought Burnley actually played quite well. We're going to pick out Johnny Evans and, and we should do or Bruno's goal because it was an absolutely fantastic finish. But while United are not out of the, the, the I won't say crisis, but you know the, the low mood, the fact that there's three home games now, then an international break, then Sheffield United... Uh, if United can win those three home matches, which is by no means given because Palace are actually decent and Brentford are decent as well. But no, I, I, I was pleased. It was all about getting three points 
and then you've got all the residual extras such as a clean sheet which did Anana no harm at all because he'd had a, a difficult week it was all about the three points and United got the three points yeah Carl it's probably a reflection really that performance and the sense of being pleased stroke conflicted um, about the win that's just where United are isn't it that's exactly the sort of baby steps that they needed to take out of that non-crisis low mood <laughs> absolutely I think we're going to start having to call it the C word rather than say crisis don't say C word uh oh uh oh it's verboten um, yeah I, my, my, my reaction after that game was relief just good fine three points clean sheet hopefully Mount and Amrabat will get closer to being able to play 90 minutes in the coming weeks and we'll just take it from there United have been decimated by injury and the mood was so low that at this point in time, you just got to be happy with the three points. Laurie, you and I were exchanging messages when that, that team sheet dropped um, and the presence of Johnny Evans on it and Hannibal as well, actually, to be honest, was a, a huge surprise. But my goodness, how good was Johnny Evans? I mean, that is exactly what your seventh choice centre-back should be doing when called upon. <laughs> well, I know. I mean, I've been a little bit hesitant it's been a wonderful story, Johnny Evans coming back. You know, the unexpected. It gives you a bit of a warm feeling. You know, this guy that's been through the academy and and you know people think shouldn't have been sold in the first place, and he's had a really good career outside of Old Trafford. Um, so for him to come back at this age, he's a really you know good guy around the place. You know, he speaks to people in a, in a friendly way. He's encouraging of younger players. So um, he's a I great put, guy. Full stop. Never yeah. mind as a yeah, footballer or an influence. He's just a lovely bloke. Yeah. Yeah. This was a performance where you go. He came against Arsenal and had a, a, a bit of a torrid time again there. And you're sort of thinking, is this level going to be a too fast for him? Ultimately, you know, having been at Leicester last season, got relegated in and out of the team through injury as well. Um, but yeah, this was one where he certainly came to the fore. I mean, he's just so unlucky with the goal, wasn't he? Because it's a, a really good run, gets up high, perfect header. He's done nothing wrong. It's just a circumstance of, of Rosmus Hoyland being in the kind of wrong place. And I mean, four games in a row where VAR have intervened in these kind of, you know, sort of quite close calls. It's not been like, you know, outrageous moment. I mean, as soon as you see the replay, he's obviously going to be flagged offside. But yeah, then to kind of come out and the position where he takes up to, to, to pick the pass to Bruno is is uh, is really interesting anyway. And then just the, the flight of the ball, it gets better as the, the ball kind of hangs in the air, doesn't it? You sort of think, oh, that's an interesting ball. And then it gets closer and closer. You're like, oh, wow, he's definitely going to hit this first time. And obviously it takes a fantastic volley from Fernandes to go in. Um, but yeah, the ball certainly invited him to do so. Um, and yeah, then the defensive now in the second half, I thought was was really good. So yeah, um, that that is a definite not conflicted about Johnny Evans anymore. Uh, yeah, very pleasing uh, to borrow Andy's word. Yeah, Carl Dan Sheldon wrote the piece up. He was at Turf Moor to watch Burnley against Manchester United, and he said on Evans he made eight clearances in total, four more than anyone else on the pitch. Won all three of his aerial duels. No player won more. Had more touches, passes, and accurate passes than any of his teammates. He was busy. I'm always slightly reluctant when a United defender has to be that busy, especially against <laughs> a team of Burnley. But the moment he came in on that short-term loan over pre-season, I think quite a few of us were joking, going, he's, he's staying, he's definitely going to be staying. And he's acquitted himself well. And uh, also it's quite nice to know that we've got another way to keep the academy streak going as well. Yeah, that's true. I mean, Andy, he was just the feel-good factor, wasn't he? That that was exactly what the club needed in a way, someone like Johnny to to step forward and produce that sort of display. In terms of it being an importance on the pitch, but also off the pitch, a change of narrative, because it had been such an unpleasant week 
all round last week, hadn't it? It had been unpleasant. United fans were really arsy with each other, and that's what happens when the team are losing matches, really angsty with journalists. How dare you say this? How dare you report that? It is a good story, and I don't think anyone thinks that Johnny Evans will um, be Manchester United's long-term solution as a a central defender. That that doesn't matter. I've known Johnny for a while, and at the end of June, I was in touch with him, and he was... I was um, in a part of Portugal where he knows well, and he's saying, go here, go there. And my wife said, who is it you're talking to? I said, he's a lad. He's, I don't know whether he's going to carry on playing football. He might be retiring now. He might be a coach. He's he's, he's from Belfast. Uh, two weeks later, he signs for Manchester United. And he's he's a cracking lad. He's a, We spoke about him when he wasn't a Manchester United player on, on, on this podcast. People can learn from him at United as a good professional he was bought for reasons like this. Nobody thought there would be so many injuries to the defence, but the fact that he came in, shame his goal was VARD, and but his assist for Bruno was was fantastic. And you know he's he's a top level professional, and the reason he's signed is is now being justified. I spoke to him in Munich last Wednesday, not on the record because you don't need to record absolutely everything when you speak to footballers. Just had a good chat with him about the game, and I feel that. That has brought good luck. So ahead of City and Liverpool away, I'm going to seek him out. The Belfast good. Beresi. <laughs> Carl, it wasn't just Johnny Evans actually putting a smile on Manchester United's fans' faces. We've not really talked about Sergio Reguilon. He had to go off in the second half for illness. But I think across the three matches for United in terms of the collective you know, 270 minutes... He's probably been about the best player. And and Hannibal coming in as well made a huge difference in that midfield with the energy and the pressing. Yeah, Reguilon is exciting and really, really energetic. He was a bright spark in his, in his first game against Brighton and he's just kicked on since then. And he, he wants to get forward. He's always going to try and get forward. And if you're a player like Marcus Rashford or like Garnacho, anyone else is going to play on that left side, you are going to enjoy the fact Reguilon's going to be constantly trying to offer that overlap and overlap. I really like Hannibal, particularly in the latter stages against Burnley. I think he took a little bit of time to warm up, but he did a three or four passes in the last ten minutes. So I'm going, you've you've got it. You've you've really got to the to the rhythms of uh, senior adult football there. So yeah, a couple of pieces there that are encouraging for the games to come. And did you think Hannibal's got a, an opportunity to keep his place as we move forward now, or is he just in there because of the players that are missing at the moment for United? Yes, he is in there because of that reason. But I know that what impressed his coaches at the weekend was his output mm-hmm. and what he's putting into the game. And I thought that's really significant. And also Rasmus Hoyland as well, his output. That was yeah. the, that, that, that is the term. And you know, Hannibal cost a lot of money and he came in that sort of post-Brexit splurge. I remember when he signed, uh, United were in Oslo at the time and you're still taking a huge risk for an emerging player and we've seen lots of players move on. So the fact that he's getting some first-team minutes is good. I, I wasn't uncomfortable with how he played at the weekend. I thought it was all over the pitch as well and he was one of Manchester United's better players because if we're going to flip it the other way. Burnley, as Laurie said earlier on, had most of the possession. That could have been uh, another really bad result for Manchester United. So the way that they controlled the game, I still think you've got a lot of players who can really improve their output, if we're going to use that word again, and and their performances, but needs must. If you've got 12 injuries, then players like Hannibal and Johnny Evans are going to get a chance, and I'm really pleased that both of those two players 
did really well. Palace at home, you'd say that oh, it's only the League Cup, you're going to get the fringe players, but that was a United of old. Ten Hag tends to go strong as he can do. The League Cup, as we saw last year, it's a competition that, that he, he wants to win, but if players are injured, then he's going to get more chances. And He's a flair player. I think he's a player who, who, who fans are attracted to, and I wish him well. I was really pleased Hannibal didn't get booked against Burnley because that man gets booked a lot. Uh, I remember Laurie used to watch him quite a bit in the other 23s and he used to get kicked to absolute pieces because he was clearly United's best player in the academy and other teams would just go kick him. He's going to react badly and that's a good way to get him booked and or sent off. So the fact that he's also been working on reining in that sort of uh, compulsive, angry streak is encouraging too. Yeah, sign of maturity that, isn't it? Certainly that he's he's ready for this first team place now. We shouldn't paper over the cracks too much, Laurie, should we? Because like we said, you know, it's, I think it was the most passes Burnley had ever made in a, a Premier League game. It's not normal for United to go to Turf Moor and, and have less of the possession. Although this is a very different Burnley team than the one that we saw under Sean Dyche for the majority of the time in the Premier League. It needs to get better from here, doesn't it now? Yeah, I mean, I'd take all that. Um, on board in terms of Vincent Company wanting to have Burnley, you know, in charge of possession, and you know, was it always the most effective um, use of the ball from Burnley? Um, yeah, I think probably they had quite a few passes in areas that United were comfortable with them having passes in. But you really, Ten Hag, when he first came in, spoke about control a lot, and and that okay, you can be controlled without the ball, but I think ideally <laughs> he would view that uh, sort of tenet of his managerial style as having the ball and being controlled with it. I mean, I was just sort of watching match of the day and you see Man City score a goal after 46 passes. And, you know, I don't know how many sequences United have had um, like that in the opening um, games of the season. I, I don't, I would, I'd be surprised if they've had any you know moves that have been 46 passes. You know, I think there was a, a stat after the buying game about how many passes over... How many moves over ten passes that had ended in a shot or a, a touch in the box, and it was like two, and it was like you know seven for Bayern, for example. And these kind of stats, I, th- I suppose, show just the general mode of your team and, and how you know how good your possession is and, and how much of a threat you are. So, and you know, Crystal Palace probably, yeah, it'll probably revert a little bit because Palace aren't. I don't think that fussed under Roy Hodgson about you know bossing possession. So, but then again, they are very direct and they are very uh, clinical uh, when they do have the ball. So United will have to guard against that. You know, back to back games. Um, yes, how many times has that happened for United? You know, three or four is it in in last couple of seasons? Um, really weird quirk. And, and on Hannibal, it was interesting that he played in that number ten role instead of Bruno. You know, Bruno's the one going out to the right, and and Hannibal's the one giving the number ten slot. We, we thought it was going to be a diamond, didn't we? Ahead of uh, kickoff, uh, which is something. Yeah, looked at. Yeah, that, that Regulon's obviously in there for that overlapping fullback essential if you're going to have a sort of narrow midfield. But oh, okay, no, it was Hannibal as the number ten, um, and he certainly grew into the game, didn't he? Whether that is enough for him to maintain his place for a lo- longer length of time, it was interesting seeing him there because there was a moment um, during the transfer window where, for example, after the Nottingham Forest game, he was really disappointed not to be in the squad for that. Dan Gore was in instead. And it looked like he was going to go out on loan. You know, Sevilla and Everton were interested, um, and ultimately United, you know, kept him. And I think they did say at the time he would be, you know, a valuable member of the squad if he does stay. And but it just sort of shows how this season so far has already had narratives where you know it's been unexpected turns in the road, and maybe he can use this as his platform to, to build on because you know at Birmingham last season 
he had you know, 21 starts, 17 off the bench. It wasn't like he was in the team all the time and, and, and United were like, right, here we go. He's had a brilliant championship loan. We can't afford to, to let him out. It, it's been um, you know, sort of 50-50 situation almost, but I thought that was a really, really encouraging first start for him. How good was Bruno's volley, Carl? In a sound effect, in a word. Not as good as Van Persie's, but pretty close. It's quite a high bar, Andy, isn't it, really? <laughs> I actually, I, I asked my mates before, I, I tweeted about the Van Persie Rooney vibes. I guess everyone was thinking the same thing, but I, I was sort of asking my mates, is this, is that a fair comparison to make? Is that a bit giddy? You know, in this, sort of, we've been starved of something like this for a while, so. I'm at, I, it, it was a hat trick from Van Persie to <laughs> crown Manchester United's uh, Premier yeah, League yeah, title. Fair enough. Last one under Fergie, uh, but yeah. Other than that, it, I think the timing of it was important just before half time and stopped people being on a downer after the Evans uh, cancel goal. The assist was wonderful, but it was just showed his outstanding technique um, with that right foot volley. It was a wonderful goal. It's probably the best goal we've seen for Manchester United so far this season from a team who don't score enough goals. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. One player we've not really talked much about so far is Rasmus Hoyland. He didn't get his goal at Burnley, unfortunately. still waiting for his first Premier League goal. But Laurie has written in detail on The Athletic about exactly how United signed him. And Laurie, there's some fascinating detail on there about the modern Manchester United and their transfer methods, isn't there? I think it was a sort of a window into that aspect of, of life at United, which has been talked about a lot, you know, behind the scenes. Um uh, basically, you know, Rasmus Hoyland was leaving his his former agent, and there was a big scramble for his uh, to get him as a client. You know, let alone European clubs actually wanting him as a player. Um, it was a lot of agencies sort of pitching to him. Ultimately, SEG came out on top. There's people that think that is because he ultimately wanted to sign for Manchester United, and Eric Ten Hag is represented by SEG, and and that makes that whole situation um, easier for him. So um, yeah, I think it was a, a you know that that is an interesting aspect to it all. Um, I think also that the just the the level of interaction then between staff at United and um, the, the you know, SEG involvement and also base who who did the deal out of Atalanta that they're quite close to Atalanta so how that transfer fee gets set I think is a, an interesting one because there's people that think it was you know an excessive transfer fee for someone with his record um, ultimately United needed to get a centre forward in and that was the the player that Eric Ten Hag had identified after the Harry Kane situation was kind of put to bed. And it was interesting, actually. That's that's what Ten Hag referenced in the answer uh, when he was asked about SEG, saying that, you know, 
nothing happens without both the club and myself agreeing to it. 50-50, we've got this veto. And and that's what happened with Harry Kane, basically. You know, the club exercised its veto on, on that one because, you know, the, the overall cost and, and the, the age of the, of the player, um, including his salary and transfer fee, was something that they felt wasn't the best use of resources. So, you know, the, the, the target was switched to Hoyland. Um, I think it was interesting that the fact that you had PSG after him um, and, and NASA. Al Khalifa uh, spoke to him on video calls um, and tried to persuade him. And usually, when he gets involved, you know, on matters of European football, he, he does have a, a persuasion about him. Um, but Hoyland, I think that just emphasised how much Hoyland wanted United uh, because you know he'd had video calls with Eric Ten Hag where they discussed how he would play, and and, and Ten Hag got a sense of him, a sense of his character, which I think he he's since explained um, in in press conferences when he's been asked and that's been one of the big pulls for him actually going in for him um, yeah the, the SCG thing is interesting I think it's one you know that, that is a, a valid aspect to, to look at I mean Case Voss is Ten Hag's agent and but it's been noted how, how frequent he is a visitor to Carrington Old Trafford um, I think Ten Hag would probably say well he is someone that I can trust and he can assess the market in certain ways. But then there's other people that would perhaps say, well, is that a conflict of interest if you've got your agent so close to the club? Um, it's something that I think United are alert to, um, but it's something that I think they also need to keep an eye on as the weeks go on. Yeah, Carl, you were in the press conference on Friday. What was the reaction like from Ten Hag when he was asked about it? Pretty cagey, pretty cagey. He almost stonewalled a number of questions on Friday. I do, I do like Laurie brought up. Ten Hag's reaction when he was asked about Hoyland's character because it was a couple of weeks ago and they, they sort of said, oh, what's Hoyland like? And Ten Hag just deadpans, goes, he's brave. Just a big, long pause. Not anything else? Like, no, he's he's brave and that's about it. So Ten Hag is, he's straight back at batting a lot more questions in the press conferences. Again, I don't think he wants to get drawn out into anything where he, he uses the word crisis. Um, there was two mentions on Friday where he, he said words to the effect of, uh, I know the reasons behind the bad form, but I don't want to give any reasons because reasons may be construed as excuses. So we just got to kick on. And I think that's just his mindset at the moment of just, let's just kick on and get all as many games under our belts as possible. Andy, what about Hoyland's relationship with Marcus Rashford? Um, Rashford seems to be one of the players who's getting quite a lot of criticism at the moment for his performances. He's only scored one goal so far this season. But there's a sign between those two. And I interviewed Rashford on Friday as well. He talked about work away from the training ground, away from the coaches, um, that the two of them are working on their relationship. Um, it's encouraging that for United, isn't it? That could be a ticket out of this situation, those two. It could be. I think you did well with the interview. You got some some good answers there from him. Uh, it's not the first time that Marcus will have used uh, people away from Manchester United. He's done that several times in, in recent years. I don't think he's having a, a good season. That's why people are talking about him. I've seen little bits of evidence. I don't think he played well at Burnley, but uh, against um, uh, Bayern Munich, I, I saw you can see what they're trying to do and you can see what Anana's trying to do or what Regulon's trying to do and I thought the Bayern Munich game was very interesting with Marcus because I thought he had the beating of the left back but didn't really quite come off for him. So we're not seeing peak Marcus like we, we've seen at times last year um, he has not been able to play in his best position all of the time, that now looks like he'll be able to with, with Hoyland in front of him, I'm confident that those two can, can gel and can be productive I think we saw uh, in the last home game elements of that, such as when um, Hoyland put the ball into the net, 
obviously it was it was VARD because at least one VAR decision has to go against Manchester United uh, per game and, and, and that did it uh, f- for that game. Um, so yeah, it, it's still early on. Um, I just, I thought last year Marcus started the season really well because he'd had a really good pre-season and he was saying that at the end of the pre-season and I'm just worried why he's not started this season as well. But then there's a load of injuries around him as well, which which doesn't help anybody. He's not found his rhythm yet to me, watching the games. It doesn't feel like he's quite at the point he was last season where things become automatic for him. The decision to shoot or pass, I asked him about. Um, he said that last season, a lot of the time when they went on a break, he looked up and it was just a sea of opposition players in the middle. No one really to, to tee up other than drawing the ball back to Bruno Fernandes at the edge of the box. I think that was a polite way of saying he looked up and saw Valtberg horse, but that didn't actually <laughs> reference that. Um, I, I just think, especially the Burnley game, he almost felt like he was trying to tee Hoyland up too much in a way. And at times when he could have shot, he, he teed him up. Times when he teed him up, uh, he could have shot. I think I've just said the same thing, but you know what I mean. Um, <laughs> yeah, I just I think, think he's just not quite found his rhythm, Carl, in that sense, has he? And I, and I think it's part of United's start as well. He he sees himself as one of the players who should be setting the standards, and he's extremely hard on himself when he's not doing that. Very much so. I think there you know there are teething problems in this partnership between Rashford and Hoyland, but they will get there. I think it's pleasing that Rashford is already looking to tee up. Hoyland in a way, you know, I keep mentioning it. Rashford likes passing to Bruno Fernandes and he likes passing to Martial. And if he can't see those two, he's, he's going to try and shoot the ball. Um, but the fact he's trying to give the ball to Hoyland is good. I also think Hoyland, Hoyland came really close with a chance from, I think Dallow got re- you know really short cross and like whipped it in and Hoyland just couldn't yeah. quite connect. And that was one yeah. where, where you're going, right, a couple of weeks from now, that's going in, which is good as well. And, yeah, I, I agree. Rashford has been moved here and there. You know, started the season at centre forward, then moved on to the left. First game he had on the left was a much better improvement against Nottingham Forest. And then you're in this herky jerky situation. But I think the longer he plays on the left hand side, the longer Hoyland can play. I quite like the fact Hoyland played essentially the whole game as well, which is good. So whatever back ailment he's got is hopefully no longer there. So I'm, I'm confident both of them will get 15 league goals this season. Laurie? Well, yeah, interesting. Carl mentioned the um, Hoyland's sort of back injury. I suppose that was one aspect to um, his entrance to United that we, we should just touch on a little bit. And clearly, you know, how fully match fit he is, you know, to be able to actually play the, the full game at his, at his full pelt. And we saw, didn't we, the, the cupping on his back and the kind of strapping. So clearly he's, he's having some treatments. And, and you know about cupping, don't you, Ian? I think you've had uh, that. I've been cupped. Is it? Yep. <laughs> Does it work? I have no idea. Um, <laughs> but I have had it done to my leg uh, before now. It looks a lot worse than it feels, to be honest. Uh, our producer, Aidy, just put in the chat, warm hands first, which is <laughs> the area definitely needs warming up before you cup, so there's no question about that. But I think it's about, from memory, it's about drawing bad blood out and trying to break up some of the knots and some of the tightness in the muscles. So I, I guess he's trying to, you know, they're working on the area where he had a red spot, was it called in your article, Laurie? Um, a hot spot, I believe, is, is a, hot is a spot. technical uh, term. Yeah, so it's, it's not actually a, uh, a back 
uh, stress fracture, which is what Marcus Rashford had, right, um, a couple of seasons ago, which he kind of played through. You know, I think that was the issue. He had that big machine, didn't he, where he would uh, be seen coming out the Lowry with it um, to kind of help him, I think, on that injury. I'm pretty sure it was that one. Um, and yeah, so so it, it basically meant that United had to kind of just evaluate the whole transfer in terms of the money being spent. And he went down uh, to London for a second um, scan, which showed that actually, you know, it wasn't a serious thing. It's just something that needs a bit of rehabilitation, a bit of rest. And, and I guess, yeah, the cupping and, and the strapping. But uh, yeah, hopefully he is reaching sort of full fitness and he can strike up that partnership with Rash. Because I think there was some encouraging signs. I know that... Um, there is. I, I thought, thought your there interview is. was really interesting. But, and and it, just reflecting back to that Brighton game where I think Rashford got quite a lot of scrutiny for not passing to Hoyland. He, d- he did put the cross in, you know, very early on for Hoyland um, to try and score. And, and as, as Carl says, the you know, header down for, for Hoyland, it was just a, a close call there. So I don't know, there's some glimpses of, of perhaps something sparking. The thing is with Rashford as well, he had nine shots in that Brighton game, the most he'd ever had in a, you know, in a Premier League match. And obviously that was seen as a negative because he didn't score from them. Um, if he had scored from a couple of them, it definitely wouldn't be seen as a negative. He's a centre forward um, some of the time. He's a, he's a key forward player all the time for United. And he does shoulder the responsibility to, to score goals and win games. That, that interview actually, um, and some people push back a little bit on the post that I did on Instagram about it, but th- that's the most mature interview I've ever done with Rashford. I've spoke to him down the years and he spoke well in the past. Often it's been about himself, but in terms of, you know, a message for the team. He talked about players sucking it up if they were playing out of position. They needed to do it for the team. It's not necessarily something that you, you know, has to be for your your benefit personally. It's about the, the collective for the team, about, you know, all the criticism, all the scrutiny and standing up to it and showing your character and coming through this period as well. And that's another thing with him. It's his ninth senior season, Marcus Rashford. It's absolutely ridiculous at the age of 25 that he's been through all that. And that's through Van Gaal, that's through Mourinho, that's through Solskjaer, that's through Rangnick, that's now through Ten Hag as well. Um, and he's been a constant throughout all of that. Um, and I just thought it was just the most mature sort of leader-type interview that, that I've heard Rashford do. He almost made me feel better listening to him, um, considering the week that United had had. As I said, I did get a little bit of pushback on Instagram for that poster about Marcus Rashford being a leader. And I, I, I get it, you know, I don't think he's been at the level that he wants to be at. But in terms of a social media backlash, Laurie, it wasn't me that got the fiercest this week by any stretch, was it? <laughs> I don't know, I, I should have realised that you were getting a bit of heat on Instagram. I should have chimed in and, and you know, just made myself feel better. You didn't even like it, I don't I've, think. I've, I've gone and found it now, I've liked it, it since we've been recording. I was like, I can't believe I did because I saw you did it. And I was like, I, I didn't realise he posted about it on Instagram. That's a bit desperate, and, uh, isn't it? Asking for likes, but so it. you've got to... move okay, it on, okay. please. Uh, every little helps. Um, uh, yeah, no, I mean, I got a lot of uh, heat on uh, Friday for uh, a piece that you know perhaps had a headline that was was too strong for my liking in terms of how much of a squad it, this is Eric Ten Hag's now and and how much responsibility he he shoulders. Um, but the piece was kind of just sort of saying that you know in comparison to last season when the team started badly, it was very much he was having to pick up the wreckage of of Ralph Ranick and, and Ole Gunnar Solskjaer's previous season. Um, and he, he only had you know two players that he'd signed in his team you know against Brentford for example and, and lots of players clearly that weren't his cup of tea. Now he's you know it's a year on he's had you know the coaching sessions with them and he's got more of his players in his squad. So it's again it's not his absolute idea of a Man United team or, or squad for sure. But I think he it's a fair 
question to ask of the manager at this point. What what more could you be doing? You know, he often talks about uh, the players, and he does say, you know, we're all in this together, and, and we have to look in the mirror. And so that was kind of the point of the piece, really, that just moved it a little bit on to Eric Ten Hag. Um, but I wasn't, it, it, and this is really um, reflective, I think, of the fan base. Uh, so certainly, a, a section of it, you know, on, on social media, I guess, uh, of how strong some people are, massively behind Eric Ten Hag, and, and kind of any kind of criticism um, is just seen as uh, an attack on a manager who shouldn't face that kind of scrutiny, I suppose. Which I think maybe just says a little bit about how tired people are of a churn of managers like they don't, they don't want to just get into this cycle again of let's point the finger at the manager because you've had you know groups of players before exerting power in situations and the manager goes and then nothing happens at the club because you've got the guy there with with authority ultimately not having that authority when the crunch comes so um, i think that's probably what people were pushing back on most but i found it yeah reflective that okay that's that's interesting that um, this is the mood amongst the fan base. So, yeah, I've, I've certainly learned a lesson there. Um, you, you've got to judge your words carefully in, in certain circumstances. Uh, otherwise, yeah, you, you open up to a, uh, a waterfall of, uh, of criticism. Fan, fans are angry. Fans are, fans are annoyed because results. Fans are arsy when the team aren't winning to each other, to journalists. I also think a lot of fans think that the media are feasting off the carcass of Manchester United, that they're actually enjoying it. Felt like they were last week, well, in they fairness, were. with they some were. of the, the articles. They were. I mean, the, the thing about Onana dropping his car keys, it's just. They were. And fans are always going to go back and defend the club, defend their colours when it's like that. If they just think it's negative after negative, they're going to stand by the club and they're going to support the club. And, you know. You're saying feasting, yeah. I, mean, I get so many more phone calls when Manchester United are losing compared to winning. And I say to some of these people, any chance you can give us a ring when uh, when Manchester United win a match? I mean, last Monday, by this time, I'd had six different phone calls. I've not had, I've not had one so far today. <laughs> so fans are quite right to feel sometimes that people, people are against them. I don't buy into this line that there's a, a huge conspiracy to... Get Ten Hag the sack because I think every journalist I know can can think for themselves, and I've certainly not had any pressure to to write anything. But I can understand why fans would think like that. Well, if you want to read Laurie's piece about Ten Hag or indeed any of the pieces that we've talked about across the podcast, remember you can sign up to the Athletic if you're not a subscriber for one dollar a month or one pound a month for the first twelve months. Just go to theAthletic.com forward slash Man United Pod. Right, should we preview Crystal Palace? Um, Andy, you said something earlier which I thought as well, and that's that Ten Hag doesn't really rotate very much, does he? Um, one time that he did actually was the first League Cup game last season. Now, I think he made eight changes from the defeat to Aston Villa in the Premier League to the League Cup tie against Aston Villa the following week. Um, and actually now... He doesn't really have the luxury of doing that because I'm not even sure he's got enough available players to be able to make eight changes. And also that was in November. Yes, it was a poor result against Aston Villa in the league, but it feels like the moment's delicate for United. This really does need to be another win, doesn't it, to to ensure that they've fully moved past what's been a, a tricky start to the season. Yeah, because the competition's an important one. Look at the league table already. Winning the league this year just looks like it's not going to happen. The Champions League. So realistically, what are Manchester United left with? The FA Cup and the League Cup. It was absolutely worth winning last year. In terms of injuries, you're right, it's serious. United just need to get through to this next international 
break. And then more players are going to be coming back. Uh, Crystal Palace is going to be difficult. Got two games against them this week. If you remember last season, that winning run came to an end at Palace away with that draw. That was when Valt Beghorst first came onto the scene. They've done really well to establish themselves as a mid-table Premier League side. And it's going to be difficult, but you'd still fancy Manchester United um, to, to be favourites. But look at the league table. I think... United a ninth and Palace a tenth. So this isn't Burnley. You know, Burnley were playing well but were losing all of the time. This is Palace, who are much more wily operators, and as we've seen very recently, have won games at Old Trafford. Laurie, it might be the first sight that we get of Altai Bayandir in net. That was a change that that Tenag made for the League Cup early rounds last season, putting in Martin Dubravka actually for the Aston Villa game. Remember him. Um but going through the other players, I mean Sofian Amrabat potentially gets his first start. You could change the entire front three with Palestri, Garnacho, and Martial. Christian Eriksen obviously didn't play against Burnley. Don't know how ready Mason Mount is for minutes. Um, there's options for him. And there was also the sight of Donny van der Beek on the bench at Turf Moor as well. I was wondering what he was up to. Um, obviously, he's not in the Champions League squad, so that was a, a reason for the three goalkeepers on the bench Yeah, uh, in Munich. Um but yeah, uh, I guess yeah, the injury crisis really is severe. It's still, he's not getting a game though, is he? I, I feel, I feel for Donny van der Beek. I just kind of think it just needs a fresh start somewhere, doesn't he? But, I mean, listen, maybe, maybe he does feature against Crystal Palace, and and that's Tenag sees that as the opportunity to kind of just remind, um, just get him fresher, I suppose, if if in case the injury crisis does, you know, uh, deepen. Uh, God. He started against Aston Villa in the League Cup, the right, first game go, of the competition Ooh. last season, and he started once since. Well, he does, yeah. does nothing. Think- when he gets the chances, he, does, he comes up with a 6 out of 10 performance. So you, yeah. you had initially, you had this craving, and I, I got driven mad. Ask him about Donny in the press conference. What about Donny? What about Donny? As if he was like the next Messi. And Donny van der Beek has had lots of chances, but when he's had them... Just completely meh. Yeah, you're right. And I agree with Laurie. I think he, I think he, he's just got to go somewhere else. He's so far from that player we saw with Matthias De Ligt and Frankie De Jong and um, Daley Blind and Andre Onana for Ajax. Yep. That he's just, just got to start somewhere else again. Carl, <laughs> who are you most excited about seeing in this in this game? Who, who would you like to see given an opportunity? I'd like to see a guy actually start. Well, think- it was interesting at Turf Moor, the fans were singing for him and Tenag explained it after the game that he felt he needed to keep the structure and the game was really tight. And But yeah, it was a surprise maybe that he didn't get any minutes. Yeah, I think that was the right decision against Burnley. But uh, League Cup, Garnacho with Reguillon, you know, considering how much Reguillon wants to get forward. There's no other left-backs. Yeah, there's no, there's no other left-backs <laughs> and there's also this caveat that Reguillon went off with illness Tenag said Reguilón was ill, despite the fact he went off definitely clutching his hamstring, which again is that thing of Tenag likes to use the word ill as a as a catch-all term for any any kind of ailment there. So we'll see. I hope Reguilón's fit, and I, I would like to see that combination with with Garnacha because I think that could be really really good, um, especially in the second half of Premier League games. Laurie, I think Sofiane Amrabat, if he can start, um, he obviously comes on at left back for Reguilón. Um, sort of. I mean, Ten Hag did say he could play full back, but he we did. kind of thought more more wing back, I suppose. And, and he didn't. I mean, it's an introduction, you know, give away a foul yeah. in a dangerous area by With fifteen seconds by to go. I was like, oh no! Wow, that would have been a nightmare. But uh, hopefully, he can actually start in midfield uh, and and provide that you know rotation with Casemiro or or just as you know 
support alongside Casemiro. Um, I think he had a sort of bit of a better game yeah, than he did. did Burnley. That sort of one of his slide tackles was uh, was very well timed on the edge of the box, um, which we haven't seen, I guess, too much of recently. But yeah, I think ultimately that is an area that Tenag is aware that needs to be addressed, and that's why Amrabat was brought brought in. So hopefully he can get some good minutes under against Palace, and, and that then becomes a legitimate choice for for Ten Hag. And who are you most looking forward to seeing? Who, who should get a chance? I'd like to see Amrabat because when I saw him play in the World Cup, uh, he was one of the best players in the competition. I've heard mixed reports about him since Manchester United uh, signed him. So if he can come in and do well, uh, I like the idea of him, that he's you know, he covers a lot of ground. The main criticism I've heard of him is that he's too slow So for the Premier League. So you're going to get a game against Crystal Palace where... He's going to have to prove that he's not. They're very dynamic for him midfield, yeah, aren't they? Yeah. They are probably one of the more dynamic teams in the Premier League in terms of carrying the ball and, and breaking through midfield. Yeah. And, and United have yet to convince, I think, at, at home in Old Trafford. Even though there's wins, we've not seen a good performance at Old Trafford. So I'd like to see one. I'd like to see two. And I'd like to see three, both against Palace and, and then against Brentford. Okay, yeah, I think we all hope for that, certainly against Crystal Palace twice at least, and then we'll see where it takes us from there. But for the minute, Andy, Carl, Laurie, thanks for being with us, and thank you for listening. We'll see you on the next one. Bye-bye. The Athletic.